0: Good morning, good morning. Yeah, it's so good, it's a good morning. Um, Real quick reminder, uh, you're gonna be hearing this every week, but in the month of August, starting August 9th, uh, we're having a midweek service, um, and and that's in place of fellowship groups for the start of the fall. We're not starting fellowship groups, we're having a midweek service on Wednesday evenings with childcare and dessert provided. And uh, what we want is for for everyone who can make it, to make that, it's going to be five times. We're going to have five weeks really building up uh, to our big fall kickoff, to our 15-year anniversary, and it's exciting. And then we'll have uh, fellowship groups, that small groups, after that. So just a reminder, um, and now I want to get into this morning's message. All right, so we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1 this morning. I know you see Acts up here and... Um, really, I, I feel it's still fine to have the Acts slide because, you know, where we were in Acts just a couple of weeks ago, we were in Galatia. We were in Galatia. We were in Acts 13 and 14, and I'll just show you a few slides just to remind you of some of the things that we were seeing. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they went on what is what is called their first missionary journey. They went from the island Cyprus into what is modern-day Turkey, and they went through this Taurus mountain range, very thick mountains. They went, you know, on to this city named Iconium, and there's a, you know, this is a huge city today. It was a big city then. That's a soccer stadium. Hope you're enjoying the World Cup right now. It's not happening there, but just so you see, it's a real place. And, you know, like Iconium, or today Konya, which is where Dr. Oz is from, in case you're wondering, is, um, is like Part of this region called Galatia. All right, so so Paul went there and Barnabas and they started these new churches there. And it was really exciting. And they went to Lystra and Derbe and Timothy became a Christian and all these awesome things are happening. And then they left and they went back to the city of Antioch. They're sending church and then more things happen. And then we're going to be in Acts chapter 15 when we get back into the book of Acts. But I thought it would be helpful for this week and probably next week too to think a little bit about what Paul had to say to the Galatians right after he left there. So Paul and Barnabas leave Galatia where they started these new churches. And not long after that, Paul writes them a letter. It's an inspired scripture letter. It's the book of Galatians. And the gist of the letter is that they need to keep with the true gospel. Paul's teachers have come in. False teachers have come in after Paul and, and kind of said, hey, you know, Paul, we know Paul. He's, he didn't get it quite completely right. He, you know, we're from Jerusalem. We know Paul. Paul, he, he's not telling you everything. Yes, you can become a Christian. You guys have, clearly, that's great. But, but you've got to become Jewish, too. You've got to look the part. You've got to do the exterior things. You've got to get circumcised for some of the guys. You've got to follow the law. Paul, he, he just wants you guys to like him. He didn't give you everything because he wanted you guys to, you know, pay to hear him speak and kind of listen to him and be his friends. He's you know he struggles with that a little bit. That's the thing. That's what was happening. It's clear that's what was happening. And so the message this morning is sort of Paul's response to that, or the verse this morning is his response to that, to say that he is not a people pleaser. And so this morning what I want to do is reflect on that together, and really it's about keeping with the gospel in Galatia, freedom from people pleasing. All right? Let me read you something. Dear Pastor, there's one area where I always make myself crazy, and that is the fear of disapproval. It really messes up my relationships and it makes me miserable. To be honest, um, I'm so afraid of being rejected that I let people walk all over me. It affects what I say, what I wear. It even affects the food I eat. I hate feeling this weak, but I don't know how to change. For all my life, I've worried about what other people think about me. As a little child, I quickly learned that certain things would bring the smile and the approval of my parents and other adults. And then I started grade school, and the approval of my friends became the most important thing in my life. Now I'm in college, but I've never grown out of this fear of being rejected. I still live my life mainly based on the approval of others. I want so badly to be liked, to fit in, to be accepted, that I've done all kinds of dumb stuff. Most of the time, I know the right thing to do. I'm just afraid to do it worrying about what my friends will think. Why am I so weak? Why can't I handle disapproval? Is there anything that will help? This is a real letter. And this is a real struggle that I think many of us can relate to. And Galatians 1 verse 10 this morning just just speaks right to that. Paul says of himself to the Galatians, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So let me pray uh, for us quickly. This morning, I'm going to go over seven clear and freeing truths about people-pleasing, using Galatians 1 verse 10 as our jumping off point. Let me pray. Lord, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for uh, Christians in Galatia and Christians in Raleigh and the body of Christ everywhere. Lord, we need encouragement to be servants of Christ. We need help to be broken free from, at times, what even feels like bondage to fear of men or people-pleasing or just just wanting approval so bad that it cripples us. So, Lord, would you help us today? Would you help me? Would you help all of us here that struggle with this? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, again, um, Paul in verse 10 of chapter 1 He he says this statement, I'll read it again. Am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I'd not be a servant of Christ. That's a statement, right? Like that's in response to something. Someone said he was trying to please people. And he's thinking, you know, the key phrase here, actually, if, if you think about it, is the phrase, am I now like he's like, "Right now, am I trying to please God or man right now, right now? The reason that's key is that we, let's think about what's he saying right now, like right now, In Galatians one, what's he saying? Because he's pointing out that, look, what I just said to you in verses six through 10, six through nine, before verse 10, I just told you that if anyone preaches a gospel other than the true gospel, let them be eternally condemned." He said it twice. He said, let them be eternally condemned. It's the strongest of terms that he could use to challenge someone. There are people, false teachers, there are, there are influencers who are in Galatia after Paul that are trying to lead these new believers astray. And he says, they're preaching another gospel. And then he says, but there's really not another gospel. But anyone who preaches a gospel contrary to the one true gospel, let them be anathema. Let them be eternally condemned. He says it twice. Okay, so here's the point. If Paul is trying to be a politician, if he's trying to just tell people what they want to hear, win and influence people, win a crowd, he needs a new strategy. He's like telling people to go to hell, basically, be eternally condemned. Paul, he he is a person who is very flexible on the methods. He will be all things to all people that by any means some might come to know Christ, but he is unflexible on the message. And he's as serious as he could be. And so the reason I say this is this is a very hard saying. He's like, if anyone is preaching a gospel different than the true gospel, let them be eternally condemned. And so right after he says that twice, he's like, "Am am, am I... Guilty of people pleasing? Does does the glove fit? Like, really? Look at what I'm writing. I used to think the Bible, um, when I was like, you know, a new Christian, just maybe before I was a Christian, I used to think the Bible was possibly not true because it had a bunch of things in it that were hard to accept. Like, whoa, that's a hard thing, man. And as I've grown in studying the Bible, as I've just grown as a Christian over the years, I've come to see that the presence of hard things in the Bible is actually what makes it so authentic and true. It it really is. You know, if the Bible were phony, written by man, changed every time it was copied or translated over all the centuries and years, if it were really phony in those ways, wouldn't all the hard things have been taken out of it? But they weren't. Why? Because it's real. And and it reminds me that we have a real God who doesn't just say what we think he should say, but says what is true and what we need to hear. And so there are these hard sayings like Paul is making and it shows really that he's free from people-pleasing. As free as he could be at his phase in his walk with Christ. So, so zoom out too. Just think about the Apostle Paul. Zoom out like what he's saying here in verse 10. Am, am I trying to please man, if I were, do you see it, still trying to please man. Listen, this this is for somebody. Like, Like, make a note of him saying, if I were still trying to please man. What he's saying is, I used to struggle with this. I used to struggle with trying to please people. He says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Think about Paul's story, his testimony. Like he was the best. He was pleasing everyone, all of his peers. Look at Philippians 3 and see his resume. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was zealous. He was persecuting the church. He was popular among his peers. He had that game down. And then he and he was not a seeker. He was not like coming to church with a friend. He was not a seeker. If he came to church with a friend, it was so that he could kill Christians. Like he was not pursuing Christ. But Christ arrested him on the road to Damascus. And then he became submitted to the Lord and a servant of Christ. And he's like, listen, they're accusing me of being a people pleaser. Look at what I'm saying. Look at my life story. Am I still people pleaser, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Friends, Paul is saying that used to be him, but not anymore in Christ. That's powerful. So now that we kind of have the basic logic behind verse 10, let me give you a quick definition of people pleasing. People pleasing is a fear-driven, an unhealthy focus on pleasing, accommodating, and serving people, which results in stress, being taken advantage of, resentment, and joyless living. Anyways, I think that's a good little comprehensive definition. We say we say it a lot, so I think it's good to define it. So now I want to go into these seven clear and free. Uh, freeing truths about people-pleasing. So you ready? Here's the first one. People-pleasing is sometimes good. People-pleasing is sometimes good. With all the bad things we're saying about it, we should at least acknowledge this first. It's actually sometimes a good thing to desire to please people. Hello. Uh, Everyone should not want all the time just as sort of a sign of your true faith in God to displease everyone. That's not the right approach. That's a problem, actually. Um, It is necessary in relationships to want to please people. That's a good thing. Romans 15, 2 says, let each of us, ready, please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Paul, in another place, says in 1 Corinthians 9, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them. And it's blessings. So it's not always wrong to want to, you know, make people happy, to want to please people. It's a good thing. It can be. And that needs to be acknowledged up front. But number two, and here's, here's the truth, right? People pleasing is most times really bad. Most times really bad. Sin of idolatry. As with many things in life, good things. Abused and misused become bad things. The kind of people-pleasing that we are seeking freedom from is the kind that is a sin, that is and becomes idolatry in our hearts. For many of us, pleasing people can consume us, it can enslave us, it can be more important in our heart of hearts to us than pleasing the Lord. Proverbs 29, 25 tells us that's a trap. The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So here, I think the thing to really understand is that really people pleasing, it 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 yeah, it's not just like, let's not just say, oh, it's a sin, it's bad, don't do it. But like really, like kind of lift up the hood and think about it. It can be an idol, not a little statue but a powerful kind of idol of the heart. Think about it. Think about your own life. An idol is something or someone that we put above God that we allow to absorb our heart and our imagination and our daydreaming and our thoughts. And we look to it to meet our ultimate needs of approval, of security, significance, and happiness. Idols such as people-pleasing, they can enslave us. You know what I mean? where it's got you. You know what I mean? You know that feeling? I do. What has got you? What has captured your emotions? Where do you experience your most unyielding emotions, such as anger or anxiety? Sometimes that's an idol. Sometimes it's the idol of fear of man. One of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Think about this idea of people-pleasing, the harmful kind, of how practically terrible it really is for us. I'll give you six quick ways. One, because it is sin, when it has us, there will be a lack of felt closeness to God. Because sin grieves the Spirit, makes us not feel the closeness to God that we have through the gospel. Number two, people-pleasing, it actually causes us to sin in other ways, gateway sin. (laughs) Peer pressure is a major cause of stumbling in other ways. Number three, we can have no sense of individuality or unique purpose in our life when we're in bondage to people-pleasing. That's a problem. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. God has prepared good things in advance for us to do and glorify Him. We can't be a leader when we're enslaved to people-pleasing because you can never lead or influence that which you're afraid of. You won't. You can't. You're not. And so that's a problem. That's like just a practically unhelpful thing with being ensnared to this trap. It promised so much. Like, oh, it's going to be great if I just please this person. And then we're seeing the promise was not anywhere close to the reality. Number five, there will often be a lack of sharing our faith in Christ with others when we are in bondage to people-pleasing. And lastly, we will wrestle with deep anxiety, resentment of others, even those that we have made the object of our people-pleasing, because they disappoint, unlike Jesus, who is worthy of being our focal point of worship, unlike an idol. So, resentment and self-neglect. So, ouch, right? It's like convicting. Man. But it's just helpful to remember that people-pleasing is most times really bad. It's the sin of idolatry, and it can really be unhelpful in our hearts as followers of Christ. And so, I think it's helpful to ask this question. What is an area you're struggling with people-pleasing? Because this is really a gospel thing, you know? That's why it's keeping with the gospel in Galatia, freedom from people-pleasing, because it's about gospel freedom in your heart. Paul says, am I still? No, I'm a servant of Christ now. What is an area where this is a struggle for you currently? Who is a person you fail, um, you fall into the people-pleaser trap with? And let me just encourage you as you answer that question quietly, don't just react. Don't just go stand up to that person. That's actually not the solution. The solution is in your heart. It's to bring it before the Lord and confess your sin and seek His help with it. So number three, freeing and clear truths. Number three, people-pleasing is a struggle for everyone. It's everyone struggles with it. Some of us have been sitting in here thinking, gosh, I'm so glad I invited this person today. You know, hey, why don't we just, just, it'll be actually very freeing. Let's just, people pleasing is a struggle for everyone. Just say, I do. I do. do." You just want to say that? I do. Say, I struggle with it. I do. Okay, that was hard. Okay, just look to your neighbor and say, you do. (laughs) Oh, why was that so much easier? That's weird. Um, It's a struggle for everyone. Listen, I remember in gym class, in elementary school, in middle school, right, those grades, you're in PE, you're in the gym, and there's like 30 kids, like spread out along the gym floor doing exercises, and the PE coach is walking around with short shorts and a whistle, right, and, and everybody's supposed to be doing the exercises, like let's say you're all holding a plank, right, the PE coach when he turns this way, all the people behind him drop into onto the ground to rest, right. <laughs> And then he turns back this way, and all these people are back up, and all the people over here are, are resting, right? That's how it is. I remember that, and I remember thinking, this just must be the way the world works. And, and um, what's going on there, though, right? You, you're doing, you're, you're basically, your behavior is totally influenced by the gaze of the PE coach. And I thought, you know, I become a Christian, And then I become a pastor. I'm going to grow out of that for sure. And then I signed up for CrossFit. And I've, like a long time ago, quit CrossFit. But, uh, you know, I signed up for CrossFit. And here I am paying hundreds of dollars a month to go and do the same thing. You know? Like the pastor. It's like the coach isn't looking. All right, cool. You know, looks back at me. You know, what is that? It's the struggle. We all struggle with people-pleasing. Ephesians 6, verse 6 says, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. But it gets to this point, not by way of eye service as people-pleasers, but as bond servants doing the will of God from the heart. It's a struggle for everyone. In the Old Testament, Adam and Eve Struggled with it. They feared one another when they made clothes and hid from each other in shame after the fall. Sarah lied to Abraham and lied to Pharaoh to live. That was people pleasing. Jacob, you know, made, you had to make him his favorite dinner to get his blessing. What is that? People pleasing. Reuben feared his ten brothers when they plotted to sell Joseph. Ten of the twelve. Spies were more afraid of the Canaanites than they were of the power of God. People-pleasing. Gideon feared the Midianites and hid in a winepress. Samson was more worried about the approval of Delilah than the Lord. Israel feared being without a king like the other nations. All of the Israelites feared Goliath. Saul feared what the people would think and so he rushed to make a sacrifice before Samuel came. You know, Eli feared confronting his two sons, his own sons. He couldn't confront them on what they were doing wrong. People-pleasing. David feared not being liked by his son and so he didn't lead him. Absalom, people-pleasing. Elijah feared Jezebel people pleasing. We all struggle with it. That's just the Old Testament. The New Testament, Herod feared his wife, so he beheaded John the Baptist. He knew what was right, but he feared his wife more than he feared doing the right thing. Nicodemus feared being seen as a follower of Christ, so he sought to meet Jesus at night. All the disciples feared at the time of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. Peter feared, and he feared the crowd, and so he denied Christ three times. You see what I'm saying? Like We all struggle with people-pleasing. All these heroes in the Bible, they struggled with it too. Pilate, not a hero, but he feared the priests and the people and sent Jesus to the cross. Joseph of Arimathea feared the Jews and was not public about his faith, even though he donated his tomb for Christ to be Buried in, Peter feared the opinion of others and he separated from Gentile Christians and ate with only Jewish Christians when the Jews from Jerusalem came to you know, Antioch. Galatians 2. Timothy was young and he was timid and he feared the impressive and older elders and some false teachers at the church at Ephesus. Paul once feared and was one of the greatest fear of man people pleasers ever but then he became a servant of Christ people pleasing is a struggle for everyone good news is this number 4 people pleasing is something Jesus never gave into everyone struggles with people pleasing except for Jesus he lived a life none of us have lived. He died the death we deserve to die. He's fully God, but he is fully man. He's our Savior, Jesus Christ, and he is not a people pleaser in the sinful sense of the action. John 6, it says, Have I come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me? Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So Jesus was probably tempted toward people pleasing, but one in every respect who has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Mark 1, and a voice came from heaven father's voice over Jesus at his baptism, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus sought to please the father and the father was pleased with the son. Amazing. In the garden of Gethsemane, before the crucifixion, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. And so people-pleasing is something that we all struggle with, but people-pleasing is something Jesus never gave into, and that's good news for us because we have a spotless Lamb of God who can die on the cross and pay for our sins, who is worthy. Number five, and this really is the point of verse 10. Number five, people-pleasing is incompatible with serving Christ. People-pleasing is incompatible with serving Christ. Because I know the feeling is sometimes, can't we just do both? Like, what? Why? We want to, you know, have the happy hug, right? Like, be a people pleaser, but also please the Lord. And it never works. We want to do what will make fill-in-the-blank person like me and also do what we know God has called us to do or say what we know God would most want us to say. The incompatibility is the argument of Galatians 1, verse 10, Paul's life before Christ was defined by trying to please man. Hence him saying, am I still a people pleaser? But here Paul says, if I were still, I would not be a servant of Christ. Incompatibility. Sometimes, you know, we are in seasons of our lives or we're in environments like church or Or groups of Christian friends or maybe in your home with your parents or in youth group or, you know, where it feels like the values overlap, you know, that it almost feels like you can do both. Like you can be this like awesome Christian and that works to also really please people. And it feels like, oh, this works. But it doesn't work. We're talking here about who you are ultimately seeking to please. The throne of your heart. The source of our sense of approval. Think about Jesus, the most God-pleasing life ever lived, did all kind of good, healed people, helped people, was kind, never sinful toward people. And yet he was abandoned. By his own disciples, crucified by the religious and secular leaders of his day as the crowds cheered. All right. People pleasing is incompatible with serving Christ, and the hope here is clear and freeing truths about people pleasing. And so, what I want to do right now is change your life with some Braveheart quotes. All right. Um, I, this feels very much like a 1990s youth pastor talk. Um, But uh, yeah, so I'll get to the one on the screen, but just a couple of other ones that are just, you know, worth it. Um, All men die, not all men truly live. That's a good one. That's good. That's a whole sermon. Um, Your heart is free. Have the courage to follow it. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's why I didn't make a slide for that one. Um, but hey, you know, we're, we're just enjoying this here, but I did want to read this one because I really was thinking about what Paul is rallying the Galatians to here. And I, I, want, to, I want to pose this to you. He, William Wallace says this, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that, for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. I think Paul, in a way, with the Galatians, is being a bit like William Wallace. He's saying, I'm not operating, and I will not operate, out of enslavement to people-pleasing here. I cannot, I will not, Will you? Do you want to live all the days from this day to that in bondage to fear of man and people-pleasing and never really be free? That's the challenge. The last two truths, I'm going to put them together, number six and number seven. But it's where we turn and we see what God really wants to do people-pleasing is an area God wants me to experience freedom. That's the first, number six. And number seven is people-pleasing is a struggle God has already given me a way to be free from. Later in Galatians chapter 4, I'm going to read this couple of verses to you. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. You see the word redeem? It means free on payment. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Here it comes. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so you can see from this verse how much God wants us to live freely. He sent his son. He sent his one and only son to redeem you, to set you free, that you might be a Christian who's living as a son or daughter filled with his spirit, characterized as no longer a slave. That's the proof that people-pleasing is an area that God wants me to experience freedom. After years of struggle sometimes with particular sins in our lives, we start to doubt if God really wants us to experience freedom. God wants you experience freedom. And people-pleasing is a struggle that God has already given me a way to be free from. And I want to close with that. Two ways that gospel faith can free you from people-pleasing. Two ways. Number one, gospel faith means that we have nothing to prove and nothing to hide because we are hidden in Christ. With the help of the Holy Spirit and by faith, we can return again and again, day after day, listen, to the better promise that in Christ, we are ultimately approved by God our Father in heaven. And the Father's voice speaks over Jesus at his baptism and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We can know that when our faith is in Christ, we are hidden in Christ. And Being in Christ, those words from the Father pour over not only Jesus, but us as well. God is pleased with us in Christ who else do we need to please? What else do we need to do to gain approval? Nothing. And so gospel faith means we have nothing to prove and nothing to hide. And secondly, gospel faith arms us with great weapons against this idol. With the Holy Spirit's help and armed specifically with the word of God, we can fight and strike lethal blows to the stronghold of people-pleasing in our lives. And that is fighting the good fight of faith, and that is walking as a passionate disciple of Jesus Christ. And so, Fellowship Rally, seven clear and freeing truths about people-pleasing. I know it's applicable to us, and Paul felt it was important to encourage those new christians in galatia that in those churches he had just planted in acts as well let's close in prayer